Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. Yeah! Ah! Good morning. Um, thank you for coming this early this morning. I know there's probably a lot of people still probably asleep, but including us. But uh, <laughs> but, we're, but you're but you're out of bed. And you all admit out of bed. You, you know, out of you, your pajamas, which is a good, you know, a you, good step. Uh, <laughs> you're drinking coffee. I assume some, most of you had breakfast. And, you're, and your brains are engaged. We're here to talk about some Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Shit, my brain's supposed to be engaged? Yeah. <laughs> no way for that. It'll, it'll get there. Um, it's just moving. My name is Miles McLaughlin. <laughs> my name is Miles McLaughlin. Um, I, I, I co-host a podcast with my friend Scott Herzog. We have a few other people that uh, uh, co-host it with us. Um, I've been doing it since 2009. A couple years ago, we just started going through all the Star Trek pilots. The year before last, we went through Star Trek D Space Nine. Originally, we had uh, Doug Drexler join us, but then it got more about his career and everything he'd done than about D Space Nine. So we eventually did another show just about D Space Nine. But what's the name of the podcast? I, I co-host a podcast called the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If uh, you want, want to check us out, I have I have I have cards. Uh, but um, but yeah, you can, you can pick us up on any good uh, podcast uh, catcher, app, uh, Apple iTunes, um, Stitcher, um, Lipson, all, all those out there. So, uh, that, but uh, delighted you're all here. Uh, hi, I'm Keith Ari the Candido. I've written a ridiculous number of books, or a number of ridiculous books, depending on which Amazon reviews you read, <laughs> um, uh, including including a decent number of uh, works of Star Trek fiction, including about a dozen novels, uh, a dozen novellas, some short stories, some comic books, some role-playing game material. Um, actually, the, the my next piece of Star Trek short fiction will be coming out in Star Trek Explorer in April, and it is a Deep Space Nine story, oh. uh, if, which will focus on Nog and Esri. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it, it's at least partly in tribute to to the late lamented uh, Aaron Eisenberg. Yeah. And um, uh, and I also write about Star Trek. I've written about Star Trek for Entertainment Weekly, for Star Trek Magazine, for a bunch of uh, essay collections and such, and primarily for the last God help me twelve years uh, for Tor.com, where I have been doing both rewatches of the classic shows, uh, original series, Next Gen, DS Nine, Voyager, and I'm currently doing Enterprise. And I've also been writing reviews of the new shows uh, from Paramount as they come out on Paramount Plus. Um, so I covered Deep Space Nine from when the hell was that? 2013 to 2015. Uh, I ran ran through the whole show and, and wrote about it for Tor.com. And you should all go and read them. And the comments are still open, so you can still talk about it. Um, and I've also uh, among my Star Trek fiction has been a bunch of stuff for Deep Space Nine, including um, uh, the novel Demons of Air and Darkness. Uh, one of the worlds of Deep Space Nine short novels, which focused on Ferenginar, um, which is called Satisfaction is Not Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And um, some short stories, including one for the DS9 and, uh, 20th Anniversary Anthology, which got helped me was in 2000, two, uh, 10th Anniversary Anthology, which was in 2003, which 
makes sense because this is the 30th anniversary and that was 20 years ago and I'm feeling old right now. Anyway, um, uh, and some other stuff as well. <laughs> so my name is uh, Kim Iverson Headley. When Deep Space Nine was on, I was published just as Kim Headley. I always thought Nana Visitor should have played the, uh, the heroine in this. It, this was, we did get a movie option offer that my agent begged me to authorize to turn down because he thought it was too low. So I took a deep breath and said, okay, go ahead and turn it down. And it, and we did, and they never came back. And it was New Line Cinema. <laughs> and it was like... Are they any good as a thing? <laughs> <laughs> any rate, so, so yeah, that's, I do not regret much in life, but I do regret that because that was free money even yeah. if they had never made the movie it was free money and i never should have turned that down but and so since then in the 30 years since then um or ish i've written you know <laughs> a dozen novels a dozen novellas and but no star trek stuff so i can end my stuff from the beginning of his his little spiel there because i you know Mainly, mainly what I write is historical fantasy. Uh, I do have a science fiction fantasy crossover featuring Morgan Le Fay's magic versus future technology, but that's as close to science fiction as I get. Yeah, so, yeah, that's my favorite one to talk about because she casts, a, it's a sequel to Mark Twain's Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. So, and she was the only major character he never killed off. So, you know, it kind of yeah. helps to start a sequel with a character that's still alive. Well, and, it was hundreds of years ago, they're all dead. Yeah, well, you know, so, <laughs> so, so she casts a spell to try to get to Connecticut of 1879, but it goes wrong by 300 miles in 200 years. She lands literally in the middle of the Maryland Renaissance Festival <laughs> of 2079. Oh, oh my. And let the games begin. Yeah. So. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, good morning. Thanks for coming. It's way too early for me, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, I'm Roger Lelore. I write novels, novellas, short stories, nonfiction. Um, I've written Star Trek and Shadowrun. My nonfiction, I'm currently writing reviews for Sci-Fi for Sci-Fi Bulletin. And I've also written for the Outside In series from ATB Publishing. Um, my original fiction is mostly science fiction and fantasy, but I have written in almost every genre. And I guess I should say that the two things I have coming next are, <clears throat> pardon me, the next Brave New Girls anthology mm -hmm. in July, okay. and an anthology called Double Trouble, also in July, and that is a... It's an international association of media tie-in writers. <laughs> IAMTW say that a couple times fast. Not um, don't. Especially at this time of working yeah. right. Um, it's a team-up anthology with different historical or fictional tie-in figures and has a whole bunch of awesome authors in it, including that guy. I'm also co-editing the anthology with yes. Jonathan Mayberry. Tell them who you're teaming up. I am teaming up Marion of Sherwood, or rather Marion of Loxley, and Annie Oakley. Oh, wow. Cool. So coming in July, hopefully they will both be a true leaf. The, yeah, the plan is to, for both, uh, I assume for the Brave New Girls anthology and also for Double Trouble to launch the natural leaf. So let's, let's cross fingers. So who are you teaming up? Because I have a still super um, Noya, who is a Yoruba goddess, and um, uh, Aisha from H. Ryder Haggard's She. Oh, my. So, yeah. That's awesome. Both of whom I've written in other works of fiction I've done. So, the, so this will be fun. Uh, 
Anyway, we so, should talk about these. Yes, Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> Why are we here again? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I'm wearing my B5 shirt. <laughs> it's Sunday morning. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So when when I first heard we were get Deep Space Nine, I was more disappointed we we're going to lose Next Generation. Um, but we didn't for two years. I, I know you're right, but uh, we but it, it, the way it was, I, I first read it was yeah. eventually Next Gen was going to go off, and then. Deep Space Nine was going to replace it, and um, at first I was disappointed when that happened. But then I got realized, oh wait, we're getting more Star Trek, yeah. and uh, you know, got, got to see the cup as being half full. Um, but when I first saw the pilot, as a person in my early twenties, I mean, I liked it. It didn't necessarily emotionally hit me as hard as when I saw it again a year, you know, a year and a half ago, where I mean, we're get to where Cisco is having his his uh, meeting with the prophets and the prophets are it's a big giant therapy session and, <laughs> and you know they say you exist here so why you keep bringing me back to my wife's death and I don't know I think when you live long enough all of us find that we have that I exist here moment and then I, when I saw it a year and a half ago I, I was I busted out crying just like because you know I've, now that I'm in my 50s yeah. I've had my I still exist here, and I there's areas of my life I still need to get my my crap together so I can move forward. So, uh, it spoke to me so much more, you know, having lived a lot. And I'm I'm feeling that's probably the same with a lot of you. Is we've all had that I exist here moment, and you know somebody's had you know somebody had to do an intervention to that. This is on a grander scale, of course, but that was that that that, that that's the way the pilot was for me when I saw it again after all that time. The um the thing that that. I particularly like that. It's funny what you mentioned about <clears throat> losing TNG. The, originally on Next Gen, they were not going to do a cliffhanger at the end of season six. Uh, and they, they only did because there were rumors going around that, well, Deep Space Nine's on, so Next Gen's going off the air. And so they did a cliffhanger for the end of season six to promise people that they would be back for another season. Um, the, uh, what, what, uh, what I particularly love about Deep Space Nine is that it, forever change the definition of what Star Trek is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Up until then, Star Trek was, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, it would have been cur- format. Well, no, not, no, not just, more, more fundamental than that. It was the Enterprise. Star yeah. Trek was about the voyage, it could have been Kirk's Enterprise, or Picard's Enterprise, or if you wanted to get a little weird, Pike's Enterprise, or Garrett's Enterprise, or Spock's Enterprise, or Decker's Enterprise, but it was always the Enterprise. Um, so, the... Suddenly, it w- that was no longer the case, and it forever it, that broke the dam. Now, Star Trek is anything that takes place in that universe, and it opened the door for, you know, for Voyager, for Enterprise, for for everything we're seeing on Paramount Plus now, you know, in in the fiction also, you know, the the you could do a Star Trek story that didn't take place on the Enterprise. Finally, um, that 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 limitation was no longer there, and it really expanded so much of the storytelling possibilities. Um, and they don't. Yeah. They, they didn't all have to be a Starfleet crew either. Yes. Yeah. That was that was that was one of the cool things about it. It was it was the first Star Trek series where most of the men, where about half the opening credits regulars were not in Starfleet. <laughs> I I always loved Deep Space Nine. I was probably one of the few in fandom who loved it from the get go. Uh, oh, there were plenty. There were, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess all of you here because you're here. Uh, and thank you for that. But I, I always felt alone, though, because, because I always loved it. And one of the reasons I loved it was because, in my humble opinion, 
It is the best written of all of the tracks. I can't speak to the streaming ones because I will not watch those out of protest because I, I'm not going to pay for the platform. I'm not, I'm not going to pay for the platform right now. If, if somebody wants to give it to me for free, that's fine. I'll go and watch it. You know, I'm just, I'm one of those people. <laughs> so I can't speak to the new shows, but, but for all of the old ones combined, I thought Deep Space Nine was the best written because of all of the character-driven motivations. Everybody had their own agenda and and so forth like we all do it was just so reflective of real life and you had enemies working together at times and at times they were complete loggerheads and and at times they started out as enemies and then became best friends singing bar songs together you know stuff like that i loved all of that it was just it really spoke to the writer in me By way of agreeing and expanding on that, I would say it's not only the best written, but arguably the best acted. And the, mm. the combination, um, until now, because I do watch the streaming, if, much as I love the others, and there aren't any of the tracks I don't like. You know, I, there, there's none of them I don't like. There's one that comes awfully close, but... Um, <laughs> Can we ask which one? Picard. I have major issues with season one and two. I've heard that. I, I have heard that. Yeah. But to, to stay with Deep Space Nine, best acted, best written, and it broke the dam not only as far as not on Enterprise anymore, it was the first one to really serialize Trek. And that was... I mean, that was as good or bad as you make it. It had some huge advantages. It had a couple disadvantages. One of the things that was really noticeable, it made writing the novels really tough because you had to shoehorn it in somewhere. I mean, novels are tough anyway. You have to hit reset. But at least with the Enterprise Star Treks, it didn't matter. I mean, you could kind of rent, I mean, when I say randomly, like whatever fit your story, you could set it wherever and all that. But Deep Space Nine, it's like opening a novel and trying to put a novel in the middle of a novel. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was so tight, with the plotting and that. And one of the things I, I absolutely love, adore about Deep Space Nine is I think it gave us one of the best, one of if not arguably the best characters, not just in all of Trek, but in all of fiction. And when I say that, it's with full acknowledgement of Spock's incredible, Picard's incredible. I mean, the wealth of characters they have given us. And of all of them, I think Kieran Reese uh, is the just one of the most dynamic, complex, nuanced. I can't think of any other character that had an arc going from basically terrorist fighting first major major fighting the Cardassians not too thrilled with the Federation mm -hmm. to ending up a commander in Starfleet mm -hmm. now it was it, it was a field commission so to speak I, I, there may be a more accurate technical term but I can't think of any Trek character who took a journey like that not even Burnham, who I love, who had an incredible journey in the first four seasons so far. 
So, well, um, I can think of one character who had a similar journey, but he's also on Deep Space Nine, which is Nog. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> and, and not only just in terms of Kira's career, but in terms of the Personal. fact that she could she could befriend somebody who was in the enemy camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and overcome those huge prejudices. Yeah. She was a racist. And I mean, not well so, with, with, yeah. with good reason. She came by it honestly. Nock is also incredible, obviously. Yeah. He's among those other, you know, the and, richness of characters they've given us. But and, I also, in <clears throat> promoting debate, I will always contend. Kira was the lead of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Cisco yes. was awesome. Yeah. I love Cisco. But well, with how much the show focused on Bajor yeah. and the spirituality, mm-hmm. Kira was the heart and soul and driving force of that show. Yes. So I'm going to put over Cisco for a minute. One thing we got with Cisco was Star Trek really pushing the, you know, moving diversity forward more. We, we, we got a person of color as uh, the, 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 the commanding officer. Uh, he wasn't just a person of color. He he had depth. He had he had emotional baggage. He had yeah, to get kid. through a person yeah, of and, color and, and, and shading. Yes, and he was a you know a, you know a, a single father. Um, so um, that was another step forward. I, I enjoyed with D Space Nine, and it's still and it's still irritatingly rare. I actually when I when I got to Far Beyond the Stars in in my rewatch. I just I, I was I did was looking at all the genre shows that had been we'd had up to that point and this was in 2014 2015 thereabouts um and the only the only show the only science fiction show and fantasy type shows that I could find where the main lead character was a person of color were was um Battlestar Galactica Everything else, the 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 main, even if even if it had a diverse crew, the main the the main lead, the person listed first in the opening credits, was a white person, um, almost invariably, and and even even with Galactica, you you've got some muddied waters because Adama's kid was played by the incredibly white Jamie Bamber, um, yes. but took after his mom, and, and since thank you, Rachel, thank yeah. you, I know, I know, I know. I just I just like making fun of Jamie Bamber. That's all, um, but uh, he. And, and even since then, you know, the, the, there, there are still very few, and one of them is another Star Trek show in Discovery. Um, it's, it's still irritatingly rare 30 years later. Um, you know, even, even in shows that have a diverse cast. Um, and one of, the, and one of the things that I do love about, you know, DS9 in particular was, was that it had that, that diversity, not just, and that's something that, that Star Trek at its best has always done. You know, in 1966, the makeup of the bridge on the Enterprise was incredibly radical. Mm-hmm. Having, having, you know, in the middle of the Vietnam War, in the middle of civil rights unrest, you've got an Asian guy and a, and a, and a Russian and a, guy. And, and in the middle of a Cold War, you got later a Russian guy, probably. Hard to tell with that accent. Mm-hmm. But, well, he kept uh, claiming no, I'm kidding, he I'm was. Kidding, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm just making, now I'm making fun of Walter Koenig. Anyway, um, having that and having them working alongside the white guy, not to mention the pointy-eared alien, Without it ever being cause for comment, was hugely radical in 1966, um, and and that you know having hell having having a, a the interracial a, kiss, a, a, right? But no, I'm talking about DS9. Having a person of color as a lead, having an Arab character, which is also vanishingly rare, yep. still 30 years later, um, and and having having you know two strong female characters who pass the Bechdel test more often than mm-hmm. most. Yeah. Uh, 
and and who got that level? Lenny time? Huh? They did sit and chat about men. Oh, sometimes, but not that often. Okay, good. I'm not. I didn't just do a rewatch, so I'm yeah. No, I, well, it's kind of, but it was about other men, not the <coughs> ones they worked with. Yeah, no, and the, like yeah, some of their best conversations like, were like in Blood Oath, where where. I'm sorry, I interrupted. I was going to say. Yeah. Lancelot get making a pass on Kira and she slugged him in the whole suite. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that passes the Bechdel test necessarily. But like the, the in, in Blood Oath when when uh, Jedzia starts asking Kira about how many people she killed when she was in the resistance yep, and stuff yeah. like that, you know, the, 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 the and there there are other instances as well. You gotta call me up. There, yes, only because it was wonderful that they, they, they put an African-American black person in charge. But there was also some discussion, some controversy, that he wasn't made captain right away. That he was commander, just commander. a commander. Yeah, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that, that was interesting. It took some time for them to promote him to captain. That didn't bother me so much. It gave him a place to go. Yeah. I mean, so and, and you know, commanders can command space stations. So. They, they do, and they're but that, called that, captains that, on navy ships. Yes, they're not. Whether they're whether they're whether actually, they actually got the bars or they, not. Exactly. Yeah. But they didn't <clears> do that with him. They called him commander. And and also, he was in charge of a much had a much larger responsibility than a captain. Of a ship doesn't. Yeah. He was a governor. He should have been. Yeah, he should have been a captain. Hell, he, he should have been an admiral. Yeah, so yeah. There was but, some. Yeah. There was some discussion back and forth. Um, I saw with people. Well, yes, they gave it to a black person, but they didn't give him the rank. Yeah. And I'm glad that they finally and did. And and at the very and at the very least, when they did give it to him, it was like, yeah, it's about fucking time they gave it to him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, a case could have been made. He could have been an admiral towards the end because of his his level of responsibility. Oh hell yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Um, Yes, ma'am. First of all, there was more about Cisco than the fact that he was black. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but um, I'm going to say uh, I was in love with DS9 from day one also from that first moment. And I lost total interest in Next Gen after that because mm-hmm. I realized what it wasn't. Um, and in terms of the diversity of – see, my, I didn't look at the diversity of Cisco based on his skin color. It was this is the first time we've had a flawed leader. We've never had a flawed yes. captain. Yes, They're amen. Thank you. Perfect. They're yes. good at everything. Right. And here was a captain who who suffered, who talked back to superior um, officers. Well, that who, wasn't a first. Huh? That wasn't a first. Yeah, it was. Well, in a snotty way. But he was, yeah, but he was, that was his grief talking. But I mean, the fact that he did it. Yeah, yeah, he talked back, but it was always because they were fighting for something righteous. This Mm -hmm. wasn't fighting for anything righteous. I just don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) You've never seen that. The uniform spoke, and Cisco's like, no, I don't like you, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. And we've never seen that before. Um, Another thing that we'd always seen in Star Trek, uh, we were saying, Keith, that took things off of the Enterprise is that uh, leaders will always, whether they were the captains of Enterprise or captains of other ships, their first love was the ship. That was their main priority was the ship. Cisco had a kid and had had a wife. So obviously whatever ship he was serving on, that wasn't going to be his first and main love. And we never gotten to see that before. What especially especially was hilarious. I said, and he didn't want to be on Deep Space Nine. Not at first. Oh, yeah, they, there was fought for these commands, and he's like, I got this command. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, but, but, and again, he had somewhere to go. He, he actually, you know, mm-hmm. became important to him. But well, I wanted to jump back to the, to the family thing, because the, the, there, there are two things about that that I particularly loved. One, for all that Next Gen was, <clears throat> was 
conceived of, of there are families on the ship. We never fucking saw that. Uh, none of the main cast had family on board, aside from aside from the Crushers, and then later Worf and Alexander, about which the less said the better. Um, and because Worf really is the worst dad ever, and I love Worf, but um, uh, but they never really developed that. And then on on DS Nine, you had, and I gotta say. Well, I don't disagree with what you said about Kira being the heart and soul. I think, to my mind, a lot of the heart and soul of Deep Space Nine was the relationship between Ben and Jake. Um, that, I mean, the, 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 what, from the very beginning in the pilot, at the very end of the episode, when he's looking around trying to find him and he sees him and he goes, Jake! And breaks into that huge 500 yeah, megawatt smile. Yeah. Um, and see, and like from that moment on, it was like, okay, yeah, and that relationship, was was the core of so many strong episodes, like yeah. you know, like the visitor, like Rapture, um, and 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 for that matter, the closing shot of Jake and Kira standing looking at yes. the wormhole, um, that was just wonderful, and 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 it really it, it's something that Star Trek hasn't been great about doing aside from Cisco, and it's um, points that make the show timeless, yeah, mm. because yeah. to me. The, uh, some of the other, tra- especially the original series, has, shows its age, uh, and Next Generation, to an extent, to me, shows its age. But to me, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is timeless. Mm-hmm. Something I liked was the humanity. I mean, we, 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 what we of Cisco when he meets Picard. I mean, he's not afraid to tell Picard. Mm-hmm. And that's know, what she was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but just look at Picard and just tell you know. You know, I, I love that. That scene is one of my favorites because both of them played it so well. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, when he, you know, we said when he said we met in battle at Wolf Three Five Nine, and the look on Picard's face, Picard's face. he looks like he's just been slapped. Yes. Yeah, and and yes, he should have. Oh, yeah, but, and, 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 it's, and I actually, I'm, I'm sorry they never followed up on it. And I actually one of one of my favorite stories that I got to write and uh, in, in Star Trek fiction was was uh, a novella called Enterprises of Great Pitch and Moment. Uh, because it was part of a miniseries where he stole all of our, our titles from Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be speech. Mm-hmm. And so one of them had to be called Enterprises of Great Pitch and Moment because it's got Enterprise right there. Mm-hmm. In the um, but it was basically a Picard Cisco team up that we never saw, uh, that took place at, like, after the fifth season. Uh, the, the miniseries was a next gen miniseries that was the first year, the year before First Contact. So it was the first year of the Enterprise's service. And I wanted to put Picard and Cisco back together and have them, you know, do the, they've both come so far since then. Mm-hmm. And give them a chance, and just have that team up because they're two awesome characters, um, in to, completely different ways. Um, to the, come for a full circle, right? Here. And yeah. to have them actually have some sort of reconciliation because yeah. it really isn't Picard's fault that he got assimilated by the Borg. He was yeah. as much a victim as Cisco was, and it really. Um, but uh, Cisco's reaction was perfectly understandable and perfectly mm-hmm. fine. But you know, it's just as bad a trauma for Picard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, worse because he was responsible for killing all these other, you know. How dare you bring that up? But it's like, well, yeah. Um, but it was, you know, this was this was a major trauma for both of them that yeah. both of them have had to work through. Um, and 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 I had them, you know, on a mission, and then they, you know, they have a shuttle crash because there's always a shuttle crash, and uh, and they have to work together. And it's a, but um, w- one of the interesting things about that for me as a writer, and and it really illuminated the difference. There was a line of dialogue that I was originally giving to Picard, and I realized no, Cisco has to be the one to say it, and I completely rewrote the entire sentence because. Avery Brooks and Patrick Stewart don't talk the same way. Right. And and Benjamin Sisko and John Luke Picard don't talk the same way. And so they both got completely different styles. In particular, and somebody else pointed this out recently, and I never really thought about it, Sisko's background is as an engineer. Yep. Yeah. Which is different from, from, you know, the, the Kirk and Picard were both... Pilots. 
pilot, and, and they were on the command track. They were always, you know, from the beginning. There. Cisco came up as, as an engineer and was the chief engineer before he became the first officer and then later a captain. And you see that in the way he approaches things. He approaches things on how can I fix it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. So the line of dialogue that you switched characters on was? I, do, I honestly don't remember. It was. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we have to buy a book. I couldn't fucking tell you now. I just remembered it. <laughs> Wrote oh, this damn that build up. Come on. No, I mean the point is that I had to do it, not not what the line was. Oh, okay. I wrote this thing back in 2007. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can barely remember two- last week. What do you want from me? This could oh, easily be a two-hour panel, but yeah. I got to mention yeah. the, the um, <laughs> secondary uh, supporting characters. All six hundred of them. I, yeah. no. no, that's but good. but but yeah. but but they everybody they gave. These people, death. My favorite has to be Garrick. I have to say, <laughs> you know, um, I'm just a simple tailor. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm, like hell you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just you, you knew the first time you saw him. Um, you know, maybe he creeped you a little out a little bit um, with that with that smile of his, but um, you, you you didn't know where he was at first. You just knew, okay. There was a lot more going on with this guy, and then we would eventually get, you know, he was an agent with the Obsidian Order, and uh, just see him in, there, there's, a, I remember, the, forget the, an episode where they run to some Cardassians, he pulls out his security codes, security code, blah, 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 you will now, you will now erase your uh, logs, you will now turn around, you will forget this even happened. And, and, yeah, and, I think that was second skin. And the Gulls, and, which was another great episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Gull just... Puts his ship in reverse and goes away, but uh, it's something I picked up while hemming trousers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that episode also had one of my favorite Garrick exchanges, where where Garrick says, I, "I'd find Commander, but if, if if there's any sign that there's any danger or something happening, I'll I'll abandon you right then and there." And Cisco said, "Mr. Garrick, I think it's the first completely honest thing you've ever said to me." <laughs> How perceptive, Captain. <laughs> and, and the other thing I loved Dark was that the, the show didn't take itself seriously at times with all of the the, the Bashir episodes of the Bondish kinds of things and the you know and the whole thing with Vic Fontaine. I, I thought that was so. And and it's I could have done with a little less Vic Fontaine. Well, but it served a purpose <laughs> no, in that everything was so serious, you know, and he was just. But yeah, no, I loved him. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 Vic Fontaine only. I thought the, the bits of that worked despite itself because James Darren was really good. He was he was phenomenally good. But I thought it was, it was a little too much indulging. I receive in bears fetish for for sixties lounge musicians. But um, did you like it? Uh, a paper. It's just paper. I did love it's only a paper moon, and I'm, I'm actually the 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 right the. the story about it, it's only a paper moon that was originally sold by John Ordover and David Mack David Mack who's been a guest at Farpoint in the past um, and John Ordover who was the editor at, at Pocket Books of the Fiction they wrote Starship Down and then they also at the same time they sold the story for what eventually became Paper Moon it was originally sold as a story called Everybody Comes to Quarks oh. <laughs> and it took place entirely in Quarks Bar uh, and it was it was a wonderful th- and they wound up it, it sat on the shelf for a while and then they rejiggered it after, after they decided they were going to have Nod get his leg blown off they turned it into a story that would take place entirely in Vic's saloon, which didn't exist when John and Dave sold the story first. Um, so it was the same sort of thing. And, and I love this story because they, they, they were redoing it and they were having Nog deal with his PTSD uh, and, and hiding in the... In... And losing the leg. Well, well he'd already lost the leg. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was him dealing with the, the aftermath leg, of yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and 
Uh, and then, and then, you know, gets, and they called John and David and said, we want you to rewrite the story to accommodate this, you know, with him losing the leg and dealing with it. And, 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 and John and David said, okay, so, so how does he, how does he solve it in the end? And Ron Moore over the phone says, I don't know, John, it's your story. <laughs> Cause they hadn't figured out how to work that out. So they just gave it. A, so they rigged it and, and then it, and then it became that story. But yeah, that was, that was, that was good use of, 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 of that setting. Um, and it was beautifully written, beautifully. I especially loved, there was one scene in there. Here it is. This is a, this is this is a story. This is one of the great things about DS Nine. This is a story entirely about recurring characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the it's it's about Nog and and to a lesser extent and about Vic and and about um, and to some extent there was a, one of my favorite scenes is right after Nog basically blows off Rom and Lita mm-hmm. because he's too busy doing important things for this non-existent casino <laughs> and, and there's this great shot of. Lita and Rom just sitting at the table by themselves, and they look like completely lost because yeah. they don't know what to do. Yep. Um, and I think it was Anson Williams uh, who directed that one. Yes, Patsy Weber directed yeah. that episode, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, and it was just beautifully done. Yeah. Uh, and and again, you know, these are not. I mean, I mentioned before, Nog is one of the best examples. And when he was alive, Aaron, if you ever wanted, if you ever had a spare hour and you were at a convention with Aaron Eisenberg, get him started talking about Nog. Um, because from an actor's point of view, this is a great character to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way he went from, you know, sneak, sneak thief that Odo imprisoned in the pilot to newly promoted chief of operations of the station dead. in the last episode. He died. He yeah. Yeah, no, I said, said I said when he was still alive. Oh, I started with that. Yeah. Um, and, and sorry. Um, Take another swig of coffee. <laughs> yeah, it was, God, it was like, what, four years ago? Yeah. No, we were, it was two. It was just after he had appeared at Shore Leave. Yeah. Yeah, and he died after. like a month later. That's yeah. right. Yeah, but that was four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Take another swig of coffee. 2019 <laughs> was four years ago. So oh, we got a chance. Was that, 20, that was 2019. Yeah, because, oh yes, because there was we no short. Lost, we all lost two years for, to yeah, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was no 20. There was no short leave in 20 to 20 or 20. Uh, um, yeah, time flies when you're not having fun. The, uh, you know, it's fun, fun but flies also another, when you're doing time. Another, <laughs> another uh, character is Damar. Yeah, who started out as second Cardassian on the left? Yep. yep. Basically, somebody for, for somebody for Ducat to bark orders at in in um, uh, the episode where he steals the bird of prey. Yes. Uh, yes. Return to Grace. Return to Grace. Thank yeah. you. Um, that's all he was, and he turned into Damar. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, it was just Euro superb. Um, sir, you had a comment. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the individual characters, but what I loved about the show was the relationship between those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Not only that, but yes. how it was... Odo like, and Quark. Well, it, felt like, a more, it felt like a more real relationship than we had told in the Enterprise. The Enterprise, everybody loved everybody yeah. else. Yeah. I love the fact that on DS9, yeah. O'Brien and Bashir were buddies. Bashir and... Garrett were buddies, but O'Brien and Garrett were not buddies. Yeah. Also, O'Brien and Bashir weren't buddies at first. In the beginning, yeah, O'Brien and Bashir became buddies eventually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that too. How it formed over time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I love how that developed. That was that was One really of the best. The, the Cisco Kira relationship, where yes. they started out and where they ended up. Oh, Kira would have shoved him out an airlock to begin with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, she, but she kind of tried to. She mm. kind of tried to. I suppose you want the office. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I, 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 I first, there, but. there was something. There was a wonderful thing. One of my favorite moments with Cisco because it, it showed up what what a good leader he was. When Kira asked for a runabout to go rescue Linalis in the three parter that opened mm-hmm. season two, he says yes first and then asks why, which I thought was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't he didn't give her a hard time. It's like fine, you can have the runabout, but 
Give me some clue as to what you're doing here. Yeah. 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 Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah, talking about the relationships in DS9, like how they were so real. Um, The O'Brien's relationship, Miles and Keiko, they were a married couple that also fought, that had trials and tribulations. There was a point where Keiko was like, I'm leaving Deep Space Nine with a kid. (laughs) Okay, I'm here to say I'm a military wife, okay? Mm -hmm. And of well, well, we will hit 41 years of marriage this June, and uh, I, I will have to say that Keiko, as a military wife, was my least favorite character in all in all of Star Trek, because of the fact that she was a military wife who didn't understand what she had gotten into. Which made no sense. Which made no sense. Yeah. Especially based, especially since yeah. started out on the Enterprise for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. That that, Kate, I, I I agree with Kim on that. I didn't I didn't like the way they wrote that because it was almost always Keiko being shrewish. Yeah, yeah. 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 What's wrong with that? I had that she was a more interesting character than that. Yeah, uh, I, yes. I, I, I was they special. Could have done better by her. Yes, they have. They, well. they lost. They lost Why me. Have to be perfect. No, she didn't have to be perfect. She just didn't. Well, what could she? she just, there was no connection. <clears throat> yeah, and yeah. also she was created as a botanist, and and they they eventually fixed that. But like, well, uh, we've got a woman on the ship on the station. Let's make her a school marm. That didn't make any sense either. Well, and she um, wasn't happy with that. I mean, it was well, she all she could do. No, it wasn't all she could do. And and eventually, like I said. They fix that by having her work to. Re- There's a whole planet that needs reconstruction. Yes. Yes. This is something that there had to be 500 different things she could have been doing. Yeah. Uh, on Bajor. the the no, I mean, I, and 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 the problem was most of the arguments were done in the way that O'Brien was right, Miles was right, and she was wrong. It was almost always that, and that yes. got really tiresome. Yes. Yeah. Um, Star Trek hardly ever shows marriage, yeah. and one of the few marriages they showed, the O'Briens. It was a bad one no in that in what they showed. It was yeah. because all we got to see was the fights. The fights were always one sided. Yes. Keiko was. was always the bad, bad guy. guy. No one is saying marriage or a person has to be perfect, but <laughs> what they showed us was really really bad. And it just one sided. One sided, yeah. yeah. and that. you know it showed why no one in Star Trek ever got married. Well, I mean, and the thing is, on the same show, on the same show, we had a really we had two really good relationships in Ram and Lita and uh, Cisco and Kat and Yates. I will throw this out to the writers. They can correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, the way she's being described and what I'm remembering now, Keiko was not three-dimensional. Keiko yeah. was a placeholder a that was completely plot-driven. Yep. They plonked her down where they needed her to, and while I understand that, yes, marriages aren't perfect, I agree that it was almost always Keiko who was at fault, and I'm tired of women being written as shrews. I find it incredibly sexist. Thank I you. I really disliked that. Thank you. So, yeah, that was my feeling. A placeholder just popped into my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 Keiko deserves They did that. a good job with her, and although not, I don't think they went far enough with it in, in the hands of the prophets when, when we had the whole, you know, science versus religion argument, but they also wrote her out of that halfway through the story, and it wound up being about Kira and Wynn instead well, of being about... Well, look at how they wrote her out of her own 
pregnancy just because you're not visible. That okay, that that was nobody's fault. That was they had already they had already established that Keiko was pregnant with the next kid, and then the non-visitor shows up, and oh by the way, I'm with child, and they really didn't want to have two pregnant women running around the station. I totally understand that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you can't put Sarah behind a desk. That was great writing. I'm sorry. Yeah, that 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 was a creative solution to a problem nobody could have anticipated. Sure, I, go ahead. I mean, wait, because heaven forbid two women be pregnant on the station. Same shit. Yeah. I from from I from a, from a realistic point of point, yes. From a writing standpoint, that's just awkward. Wouldn't they have arranged that that uh, I don't know if he was dead by then. Maybe they couldn't, but maybe Kira had a quickie with Vedic Royal and she was pregnant. <laughs> but, but like I said, they'd already. Like, yes. I, I can understand why they didn't. Yeah. They already established that Keiko was going to have the. But, although yeah. the biggest blown opportunity there was, why wasn't Worf delivering the kid? He's right. on the station. <laughs> you got it all set up. It would have been perfect. It would have been better than the actual episode where she gave birth, which was incredibly terrible. So they did some funny stuff, though, with with Kieran Bashir, where you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This uh, is all your fault. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it was. For those who don't get it, Alexander Siddig was the actual father of the kid. They were married for a time. Yeah. 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 Sir, go ahead. You can pay with me. I wonder. I wonder if part of the issue at stake here also might. And I, I agree with a lot of the points that have been said, but also might be a bit of a switch of format issue because I think with the next gen writing, it was always about the main characters. So if there was another person, they were they were always secondary. They were a, cl- the a catalyst to what the main characters had right, to do. Always a one-off yeah. plot but they didn't. They moved, and then they moved on uh, usually. Yeah. But with you know O'Brien and Keiko started off as background characters that were on equal footing. They were background characters, and suddenly Miles O'Brien becomes the main character. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, and this is I think a, a failing of Trek many times over. Yeah. They fail to deliver for those characters successively, unless it's uh, suddenly they, they'll pluck them back. Guest stars from the plot when it serves. But Deep Space Nine, because it was now this richer format that allowed for episodic, ser- or not episodic, serialized, like recurring storylines in this, this study of place, I think it kind of revealed some of their flaws as a writing group and also understanding the premise of the show. Like Keiko is actually a good example. And, and at this convention right now, we've got, you know, uh, Hugh, right? <laughs> uh, Will Wilson Cruz. Yeah. And I think that's a great example where he's Paul Stamets. Boyfriend and dies, and we all rebelled. Yeah, like, let's face it. Yeah. We were shouted yeah. We shouted at our televisions when he died. We were like, why, yeah. why would they kill him? And they 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 realized they're like they killed a great character. She said, and they went off the the stuff to bring him back. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was sort of the the evolving understanding of writing in, in Star Trek is that hey, all these characters need to be fully developed because it's it's a much broader universe now and a way of storytelling. And, and, of all yeah, the secondary they, also, characters, sorry, yeah. of all the secondary characters in the show, and so many were rich and brilliant, yeah. and Kiro, Kira, K- Keiko was not. Keiko no. was. They yeah. didn't have that problem with Garrick, for example, or Nog, or, or Damar, or Damar, or, or you know, Dakot, <laughs> yeah. or Martok. any of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah Martok. Come on, I love they, Martok. They had this wonderful <coughs> roster, and yeah. they couldn't figure out anything to do with Keiko. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It. It. it Nobody's perfect, yeah. but the the. Um, oh, I was just gonna say, I, I, I feel like the Keiko storyline was like everything was almost from O'Brien's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were like hearing about like, yeah. and then my wife was all. Yeah, yeah, and and she was and and especially because that that didn't carry over. Like on Next Gen, she was just she was the wife, and she got to do that, and she even had a couple of scenes on her own without O'Brien. Um, which never happened on, on DS9. There was never 
Keiko There's never a case where, where there was, yeah, Keiko got to be a character. And the only time she got a spotlight was when she was possessed by a paw wraith, about which the less said the better. Oh, yeah. um, which, I mean, it was great for Rosalind Chow. She got to actually do yeah, something. Yeah, That's the other yeah. thing. Rosalind Chow's a really good actor. Yeah. And, and the, the, the role just didn't do anything didn't, for her. Yeah. We um, agreed they dropped the ball on, on the women uh, reoccurring characters in a lot of ways. Some of them. Is there any other? Oh, yeah, I guess there was Wynn. Well, Cassidy was great. Wynn, I would say, is Cassidy. Cassidy was great. And the, and the, 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 the Cisco Yates relationship was phenomenal. Yes. Um, the, the, yes. From, from, you know, in, in, in Rapture, in, oh, God, and Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, when she, when she basically tells him to explain why Cisco has such a problem with, with Solok. And the, the, the two of them in there. And, oh, for that matter, Way of the Warrior, it's like, Cassidy, you don't cook. And she says, I know, I was just making sure. <laughs> um, I also love the uh, oh, and speaking of family dynamics, I, I talked about Jake and, and Ben Cisco, but there's also Joseph Cisco. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, the the the. Rest when when yeah when we fi- when we finally saw Joe Cisco in the restaurant, I was I was just this was heaven. This was just the the, yeah. relate, the dynamic among the three of them. And uh, and all the conversations they had. You know, How's things in the restaurant? Well, I haven't poisoned anybody. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other you secrets? Uh, um, yes, my gumbo recipe. I'm taking that with me to my grave. Yes. And and when and Cisco has to get away and process, what does he do? He sits down and peels potatoes. Mm. Yep. <laughs> or was it? Sh- I thought it was shucking clams. Who's shucking clams? Clams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's New Orleans. <laughs> <It's a> <laughs> or or for that matter, it says you didn't raise me to be a liar. So I raised you to be a chef. See how that turned out. <laughs> The great Brock Peters, yes. uh, God rest his soul. Yes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Cisco, can we talk about how the ending failed him, the character? Yeah. Because <sighs> yeah. we've um, got like seven minutes left. Oh, God, really? <laughs> Crap. This went, this went okay. fast. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, well, we'll start with the fact that they basically made Cisco the product of a rape and nobody realized that. Um, the prophets basically took over some poor woman and, and made her... Have sex like, with Joseph Cisco, like, like and then, Anakin yeah. Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, more or less. And 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 it really it, the, this, this never occurred to the all male writing staff that this was problematic in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, just uh, I, I understand intellectually the logic of let's have him then go off with the prophets because that sort of brings it full circle from from the pilot. But to to have him, I mean, and it was it was Avery Brooks himself who insisted that they put in the line of dialogue saying that he could come back, you know. Right. In ten years, or yesterday, or any time, because he's abandoning his pregnant wife. Yes. Yeah. In, in a show. In a show. And son. Well, his son was and pretty much grown, grown at that. He was grown at that and point. And grown son, so, but still. But um, but yeah, the, I mean, after spending seven years showing us that he was the best dad ever. Yeah. Um, Turns him into an absentee father. Yeah. Which is ups- and then. Did anybody see the documentary they did? Uh, mm-hmm. What we left behind. Yeah. 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 Um, they did uh, when they did the, their their proposed new season that takes place twenty years later, yeah. uh, and they say that Cisco's still been with the prophets all this time, and it's like, were you not paying attention? <laughs> Didn't you read the books? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, or, or right listen away. to your fucking star? Who, yeah. You know. Yeah. Who was pretty furious, if I remember? Yeah. That that's why the line got changed. You know the. Yeah. Now, I mean, yeah, they, they just totally failed the character at the end. The character of Kira, on the other hand, goes from hating and attacking Cardassians to saving Cardassia. Mm. Yep. That, 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 that was such a perfect full circle moment mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. having her, Amen. you know, do that. And, and especially, God, that, that great moment. Tacking into the Wind is one of my favorite episodes of any Star Trek series ever, which was, that was the one where, where Worf kills Gowron and Saul's Martok, and when uh, mm-hmm. Kira leads the, the 
capture of the Jem'Hadar ship, and uh, and and Rusak gets killed, and um, the. There's so, I mean, Worf and Kira are my two favorite Star Trek characters, mm-hmm. and having them both on the same show was great for me. I was like, this is cool. And then there's that episode, which is just the two of them. Um, but one of my favorite moments in that is when, when Damar finds out that they killed his wife and kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what kind of estate, you know, does that sort of thing? And, you know, and uh, yeah, who, why, why did they do such a thing? And Kira just looks at him and says, yeah, Damar, what kind of people do that? It was perfect. It was perfect. And got it. Yeah, because and and every and every every single bit was perfect there. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Kira's anger, and then afterwards saying that was a stupid thing to say, and Garrick like, no, no, that was the right thing to say, and and Casey Biggs also. It's hard to emote when you've got mm-hmm. crap all over your face. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why they keep using the same actors, like guys like Tony Todd and and mm-hmm. JG Hertzler and and uh, and and uh, Mark Alamo, is that they can act while they've got crap all over their face, mm-hmm. and and Casey Biggs just perfectly nailed that. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you have to have a cool voice. I think that's another mm-hmm. He does have a cool voice. Yes. So probably the best, not ep- not just Star Trek episode, but maybe the best hour of television to me is In the Pale Moonlight. Yes. Oh. Thank you. My favorite as well. Yeah. My favorite as well. Because you never conceive a Starfleet officer as doing the wrong thing for the right reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, that's just just a great hour of television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I, I one of the things that that bugs me about the response to that episode is the ending of that episode when Cisco says I can live with it three times. Mm-hmm. I can. But that's that's the thing. Yes. He can't. The reason he's, if he's, he's really, really convinced he's exactly yes. Yeah. And so many people are saying, see, he said he can live with it, so he's fine. No, that's he, if the it, whole point. He has is, to convince himself. He wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't be saying it three fucking times if he believed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's what. And that's what's great about it. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's trying to convince a computer that's going to erase it anyway. Um, yeah. And and that yeah, that was just it was it was it was a really good uh, out of the box well, Star Trek. Yes, and all, but also the 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 it was the, uh, the the last two seasons of Deep Space Nine up until Discovery was the only time we saw Starfleet in a state of war for an extended mm-hmm. period. Uh, and that that episode and and Paper Moon, wh- what was really good about them was that they showed. The psychological consequences, consequences of war. Yep. You know the the shit you have to do during a war that you would never do in peacetime. Yeah. Yep. And I, and you. Had, I'm sorry. Sure. Just, I, your arm's probably hurting. That episode actually reinforces about guest stars being so good on the show. Oh yeah. One of our favorite quotes from all seven seasons is the Romulan holding up the thing and saying, "He's so sorry." Poor Stephen McCaddy will be remembered for that for the rest of his life. <laughs> Um, but we got some great Garrick in that too. It's oh just, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. you know, when when, when Cisco that goes, is why you hired me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and for that matter, Quark haggling over the bribe as to let the guy, you know, not press charges against the uh, the drunk forger. Uh, and Quark, and, and I love the way Armin Shimmerman played that because he's like, it's like I get to, I get a bribe from Cisco. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, we haven't even talked about Quark. I mean, talk about. Uh, but we don't have another hour. Yes, talk about the Which is shame. But the the the, 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 the heart and soul of the show may have been Kira or Cisco, but the heart and soul of the station is Quark's bar. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the social center. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 Arm and, and Armin Sherman did such a good job of modulating from. Uh, humor to, I mean, he could handle the serious stuff just mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Business as usual was one of his best episodes when he mm-hmm. when he starts getting in, when he gets in bed with his cousin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 the show also did a good job of of, of salvaging the Ferengi. Yes. Yeah, um, which we didn't even. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because the Ferengi were supposed to be the big bads on Next Gen, mm-hmm. and then they actually started writing them, and we were terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they they made it work. Um, yeah. I, I loved when we finally got to see Ferenginar, mm-hmm. where it's always raining. We yes. have to pay a bribe for everything. We have Twenty words for the word for for, for rain. Yes, yes. But, but but no word for crisp. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 just like if you take an elevator, you pay a bribe, and 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 there's a pile of towels at the front of every door. Yes. You know, it was just, it was such beautiful you have to world. Pay for. Yes, such beautiful world building when we, when we finally got to see. And they did the best 35, 35th anniversary special. Uh, trials and tribulations. And tribulations. Yes. I mean, yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Hanging out with uh, the, the crew from and, TOS and integrating them into the old. Yeah. We do not discuss it with outsiders. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was priceless. Yeah, that was great. And, and they, they gave them all like '60s haircuts too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my, and I, I love the styling of the old tricorder. Yes. Yeah, Jed's <laughs> in black, finish, silver. You know. <laughs> I also love the fact that because Terry Farrell is so tall, when like she's on the bridge and she had to like bend over in order to be in the shot. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> she was not only is she that tall, but she was wearing those fucking boots. I liked how when they were in the bar and they were trying to figure out who Kirk was. Which one was Kirk? Yeah. Yes. And they, and they they were pointing at Farrell, who was also Shatner's double, who was also Shatner's stand-in. Yes. Yeah, that was a nice in joke. My my favorite bad behind the scenes story on that the fight scene in the bar. The fight choreography, because the fight choreography was different in the 60s. In order to blend in, they had to, like, relearn how to do fight choreography and do it differently. Um, because the style was different. Yeah. You know, one of the little nuances that, 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 yeah, so they had to throw punches differently. No, what a wonderful anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. (laughs) Because the other guy will have gotten you with an uppercut already. Yeah. What what they did... Or kicked you in the nuts. (laughs) Building new models of uh, uh, the Enterprise and... and, and D Space K seven station, I thought yeah. was they're just beautiful in that. Yeah, yeah those, those yeah. shots too. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we're out of time. Like, okay, we are like out of time, yes. folks. This this was a lot of fun. Uh, we we could we could do this another hour easily. This was fun celebrating D Space Nine with you all. I, I, I had a blast. Yeah, thank you. And and buy our books. Buy our books. Yeah, buy our books. She's, she's got, got a table. She's got a table. I got some of these. Listen to my podcast. I got some of the East Bay books table, and I'll be doing it. Thanks, brother. You're welcome.